the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We have for a number of weeks now been following the story of a recent decision by the Union City Council to approve its third marijuana store. To get some more background as to how this decision came about and what's happening in the city, we are joined by Council Member of Union City, Councilman Jeff Wang. And Council Member, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us today. I understand that this is now the third marijuana store in Union City. Give us a little bit of understanding as to why Union City is adding more and more stores when you've had a number of neighboring cities like Fremont, for example, that has steadfastly said we're not interested in bringing this into our community. Give us your perspective on some of the history of all this. Sure. After marijuana and cannabis legal in California, some people's request cannabis business in Union City we allowed it have a three license for five categories. One is a dispensary and the retail, and we also have a testing, manufacturing, distribution, and uh, cultivation in the five categories. Now we can have a 15 business. Wow. So it's beyond just the notion of having a retail sales location, but pretty much everything in the cultivation of the product to the harvesting, to the packaging, to the distribution. And we mentioned that this vote a couple of weeks ago in Union City, as this was brought to the floor for some discussion, you were a member of the city council who actually stood up and said, I'm going to recuse myself from this. I hope our listeners understand why you made that decision and why you felt it was important to sort of make that kind of public statement, not only before the crowd that was gathered there of Union City residents, but even in front of your fellow members of the city council. Well, the reason I'm doing this, there are a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, we're allowed the cannabis and in Union City retail in Union City or not. We're talking about the locations. I am never agreed with the cannabis against them, my personal will. So vote for no initially, and uh, we discussed the cannabis business and the in Union City. So definitely say no. My votes will be no. In order to be fairly to discuss the not personal bios, I then I decided to step out, and uh, that clearly means I didn't say no, and for cannabis, no matter what. Union City is a small city, 70,000 people. I'm never interested initially have this business, already have two. I personally don't think we necessarily need to fill the one. Clearly from some of the discussion put forward in the proposal voiced by the city manager, revenue into the city is a major motivating factor undoubtedly for those that voted in favor of this and specifically for listeners, the three voting in favor adding this third marijuana store included Mayor Carol Dutra-Vernacci. Councilmember Jaime Patino and Councilmember Scott Sakakihara with Councilmember Singh voting no and as he just mentioned Councilmember Jeff Wang recusing himself from the vote on moral grounds 
And I guess one of the things that has a lot of Union City folks up in arms is what you touched on a moment ago, that it's not necessarily an outright objection. Yes, California voters voted in favor of recreational marijuana, so it is now legal in our state, though it still remains at the federal level a controlled drug substance. But I think the the major concern has been the location. Unlike the other two marijuana stores that are located in predominantly commercial areas, one even almost in, in an entirely industrial area of the city, this would be the first one that is surrounded by residential. It is in a very small strip mall, but the only strip mall of its sort for many, many blocks. 75 feet from this particular location is residential housing for seniors, single-family dwellings, multiple-family dwellings dwellings. It's all in a concentrated residential area. And I think this is what is creating the degree of angst amongst residents from that neighborhood near Cherrywood is the sense that the city council, at least the three voting members that supported this decision, seem to be ignoring the potential impact, particularly in light of the fact there's been acts of violence perpetrated against the dispensary located on Union City Boulevard that had somebody even drive a car into their front windows in an attempt to try and rob it. And then more recently, of course, the store located there at Union Landing, where they were the subjects of armed robberies that shot someone. For residents listening, they know your position. I've already mentioned that Vice Mayor Gary Singh voted against this proposal. For people that are wondering, how did this even get passed and why are the desires of the residents of that area of Union City having their needs being ignored, their safety being ignored, how should people be responding to this? Definitely right. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned Hayward. Hayward, the population is much more, and the city is more than double than the, the Union City. They only have a two. Why we need more than two compared with Fremont? Fremont population is more than three times than us. They have none. I think that's too much. The second, that's a strip shopping centers. Just across the street is the very high density apartments and the next senior apartments. And also in the back, less than 20 feet is a residence. That's too close. And besides, there's a shopping mall. There's only have a 71 parking lot. You're expecting the over 1,000 people coming every day. That's what caused the big traffic jams. And we already experienced the problem with traffic on the, the Dakota Road. Dakota Road is one of the heaviest the traffic and uh, in the Union City. Yeah, undoubtedly so. And of course, residents of the area also know that there's frequently construction going on, road repairs, repairs to PG&E lines, things of this sort that's been going on for quite some time. And undoubtedly, residents in that neighborhood are wondering what's going to happen not only to their sense of peace and quiet enjoyment of their homes, but as well as protection of their children. I know that while technically Logan High School is not within the so-called protected zone, but But councils seem to completely ignore the fact that many of the children that attend Logan High School come over to the 7-Eleven store in the same complex, 35 feet away from this proposed marijuana recreational dispensary, and they come there to get snacks after school and get candy and refreshments and things of that sort. So to suggest that it won't be near children, as was suggested by the city manager, is just completely not accurate. For folks that are frustrated by this, 
how should they be responding? Is it best for people to continue to write and call your colleagues on the city council that voted in favor of this? Yes. July 11th, the meeting is only ask a city councillor to vote for the intended to award the permits. So the city still will do lots of work. They still will have the second hearing and more hearings. And they will put a condition after they improved it. And I will recommend the people talking to the city councillor, talking to the city and the police department as well, bring your concern. Those concerns are all relevant. For example, the neighborhood traffic, the parking to closing to the schools and the closing to the residents. There's so many the crimes. We see the crimes increasing, and like the union landing and recently, and also there's another dispensary on the industrial area in the Union City, the west side. So I want to encourage people continue raising the voice. We will ask people to reconsider and the city more responsible, and we do need the, the money. Initially, the first year, they will have a 587000 in the revenues. Eventually, the five years, they will increasing the $1 million as a revenue, and besides, the Union City is the middle class cities. I have a question about where those numbers come from. Yeah, you almost have to wonder uh, whether or not there is anything built into the city ordinance that requires operators of these facilities to be subjected to an annual public audit so that as much as the council apparently at least your three colleagues Sakahihara, Patino and uh, Vernacci are excited about the potential revenue I'm wondering if there's any independent way of being able to verify those revenue numbers are they just simply taking it on the word of the uh, recreational marijuana store that this is how much we earn and we're going to send you a check I think there's some short-sightedness in that the other point too perhaps uh, council member Wen that you can speak to some of the residents have voiced concerns saying that we get the fact that revenue is needed. Union City has one of the highest sales tax rates in the Bay Area, and yet there are challenges in the budget. They understand that. But as much as there is opposition to the placing of this in a residential neighborhood, as much as it would be, hey, if we opened up a racetrack, that would bring additional revenue to the city coffers. But I don't think anybody wants to see a horse racetrack open up across the street from the church that they attend or the house their family lives in or the school that their child goes to. And I think that's the big objection here. The location of this is so diametrically opposed to the atmosphere in which the previous two locations are at that both have histories of break-ins and of of violent robberies that residents are questioning the kind of wisdom that went into choosing this particular location and somehow three of your colleagues on the council thinking that this is okay in a residential area. I think that's where a lot of the frustration stems from. I just want the people, the residents, you are the voters. You have your voice. We need to continue to fight those kind of crime and the related, related with the cannabis is increasing. And we need a revenue, but we want to also consider the public safety as well. This is more important than just the revenue. Raise your voice and come to the regular meetings and continue to talk about that. Council Member Jeff Wang from Union City, we appreciate so much your candor and your time.
time today. Thanks so much. Thank you. And as Councilmember Jeff Wang says, it's important that you stand up and have your voice and your vote counted. In order to express your concerns, contact Mayor Carol Dutra Vernacci, Carol D at UnionCity.org. That's Carol D at UnionCity.org. You can also email Councilmember Jaime Patino. Jaime P at UnionCity.org. That's J-A-I-M-E, initial P for Patino. Jaime P at UnionCity.org. And Council Member Scott Sakakihara, Scott S at UnionCity.org. That's Scott S at UnionCity.org. Finally, voice your concern to the Chief of Police, Jared Renetti, Police Chief at UnionCity.org. That's police chief at unioncity.org. And if you missed any of that information, you can simply go to the Union City website, unioncity.org, and look up the contact information for the city council. Specifically, your concern to Mayor Carol Dutra-Vernacci, Council Member Jaime Patino, and Council Member Scott Sakagihara, the three that voted contrary to the will of the people, but in favor of this recreational marijuana store. Online at UnionCity.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Now through the years that this program has been on the air, and I will put in a disclaimer here that I started the show when I was about four, uh, I had the pleasure on many, many occasions uh, to have Zig Ziglar as a guest on this program. And, of course, uh, uh, Zig, always the ultimate in uh, brightening your day, even if you were having a heck of a day. Zig knew how to bring a positive outlook on things that took you back to the stuff that was important and brought that strong biblical perspective into the importance of having the right attitude before God. And certainly, he impacted the lives of literally millions of people. One would think that the ultimate in having the right attitude and growing up to be the right kind of person, so to speak, in God's eyes, would be anybody who would grow up in the household of Zig Ziglar and uh, the redhead, as he used to affectionately refer to her as. Well, my next guest has got a bit of a different story, an eye-opener to be sure. She is the youngest daughter of Zig Ziglar, Julie Ziglar Norman. She joins us tonight to talk about not only the experiences of growing up Ziglar, but also the incredible walk that she has been through and the pathway that God has taken her down. All detailed inside of the pages of a new book called Growing Up Ziglar, A Daughter's Broken Journey from Heartache to Hope. And Julie, great to have you on the program. Craig, thank you for having me, and I'm glad to know that uh, you're very familiar and personally know my dad. Your dad was a tremendous man, and uh, we always delighted when we knew that he was going to be either on a book tour or coming to the San Francisco Bay Area for one of the many uh, motivational seminars that he was an important part of, that he would either drop by in studio on a couple of occasions or join us by phone for an interview, and that's why I've got to tell you, Julie, remembering your dad and knowing how encouraging he was to so many of us, when I saw the subtitle of the book, I thought, well, my goodness, and at first I thought, I, I got confused with your sister Susan, and I thought, well, maybe this is a book about the, 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 the story of the challenges that your sister went through uh, facing a pulmonary disease for her entire life. And then when I got under the book and realized, oh, no, wait, this is a different daughter. <laughs> uh, I got to tell you, I, 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 I was a bit flabbergasted, as I suppose a lot of your readers will be. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. It's not what you'd expect from a daughter of Ziggs. And and that's why I worked so hard to hide uh, the kind of lifestyle I was leading because uh, I, I admire and love and adore my father. And there was I didn't want to hurt him or embarrass him or be ashamed to him. And uh, yet I had this whole separate life uh, because I was really good at putting on a positive face in front of my parents. You characterize very early on inside the pages of Growing Up Ziegler having to live with a life of regret and shame and guilt and grief and pain and depression. And many, many folks have got to wonder, well, my goodness, what was going on? Oh, there was so much going on. And, you know, it started, Craig, I mean, it, it started with just a, uh, a move to Dallas, Texas from Columbia, South Carolina. And the change of pace was so drastic. The things the kids were doing here were things I never even heard of. But it really started with a uh, jealous cheerleader whose ex-boyfriend got a little crush on me she decided to start a rumor about me and it took such hold and such root that none of the good kids would have anything to do with me and um, ultimately I ended up running with the the kids who uh, were in a lot of trouble and I made a lot of bad choices and I I earned that bad reputation I'd been wrongly given and that's when I started from the time I was 13 uh, I was doing things that I knew my, my parents wouldn't approve of, but I was such a good um, person at pretending like things were okay. I made good grades. I was never late. I wasn't rebellious, rude. I didn't act out in any way. Um, I was responsible. They just didn't have a clue what I was doing when I left the house. Oh, a lot of us do that, don't we? I mean, your case is so. perhaps uh, slightly different in the sense that you were trying to keep a lot of this from a, a very positive, very famous father. Yes. Uh, and yet a lot of us, I think, when you talk about the arena of, of wrong choices, whether we talk mm -hmm. about the wrong choices that took place in our life before we made a commitment to Christ, or even sometimes the bad choices that we make after we come to the Lord, you know, that sense that we, we know to do good and yet we do it not. Right. And that was my big problem. I continued to do that, which I did not want to do. Even after I met the Lord at a uh, Bill Gothard seminar, Dad actually sent his girls to a Bill Gothard seminar before he became a Christian because he heard it was a good, good seminar. You know, I, re yeah. I remember those back in the 1970s. Yes. I went to one up, uh, I forget where it was now. It was Bill Gothard's Institute in Basic Youth Conflict. Conflict, that's right. Um, that's right. And, and God bless them for what they were doing and speaking truth into the lives of young people. And I, you know, I guess in the end, a lot of this comes down to even when you've got a famous father, and this is true in your case, or for someone maybe that grows up as a pastor's kid, I guess a lot of it ultimately comes down to the kind of choices that we make for ourselves, doesn't it? Right. And the ability to overcome overcome the problems has to do with accepting responsibility for each and every one of those choices. You can't lay blame, you know, until you own it. I mean, how can we be forgiven for something we won't even admit, uh, admit responsibility for? And uh, a big part of my book is about that. It's about God. I mean, he was so kind to me to reveal to me in, in a timely way that I could one by one let go of the things that had become uh, 
had such a stronghold on my life um, so that I could be his and so that I could serve him and glorify him even after all of that I mean these shame my shameful behavior and and to have parents who from the generation they come from who stand behind me and I, every time my mother says and I gave your book to so and so and Jeannie got one I'm like it is just it you can't imagine what that does to my heart because there I am revealing um you know this really sad um background of bad choices and yet my parents are so proud of where God has taken me today that they are, you know, they are open to sharing anything uh, that will help others. And did, I'm proud to be a part of that legacy that my dad began. Did you have to work hard, Julie, to hide a lot of this? And I ask that question because, you know, on the surface, some might think, well, that's easy. You know, her dad is a world famous motivational speaker and book author and traveling to the country and out of town all the time. And yet I always had the impression when when your dad would join me on this program, so many of the references that he would share and examples when he talked about positive thinking and, and keeping your your life in line with the teachings of God's word and keeping mm-hmm. the right attitude to, to glorify God, he would refer back to family so often. And the redhead, I mean, even before I, I saw you refer uh, to your mom that way in the book, I said, I remember that. Zig always talked about the redhead back home. I get the impression that, that your dad was very involved in the family life in spite of the fact that he did a lot of traveling. So I have to wonder then, uh, was that an illusion or did you really have to work hard to keep a lot of this, what was going on in your own life, hidden from your, your parents? <laughs> I had to work hard, Craig. Uh, Daddy, when Daddy was home, he was fully home and fully involved and fully aware of, uh, you know, what was going on. I just, most really, most of my shenanigans happened while he was on the road uh, because he was a lot more perceptive about worldly things than my mother. And my mother was very busy raising, my brother was born almost 10 years after me, and she was keeping up with him. I mean, he was toddler and, you know, three and four and five, that busy age, when I was going through that worst teenage stage. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she was distracted. But when Daddy was home, I mean, if a young man called me for a date on Friday for Saturday night, he wouldn't allow me to go because he said they waited too late. That I was their second choice, and he wasn't going to let me go. He was a, you know, he was strict in in that regard. But unfortunately, he did travel, you know, a great deal, and and that's when I that's when I was out. See, I worked, and I started working when I was fourteen, and I always got out of school early, and then I would usually hang out, you know, after work was really over, and that's when I met older boys and and uh, started. You know, just getting involved in stuff I really shouldn't be. If you've just joined the conversation tonight, we're visiting with Julie Ziegler Norman. She is the youngest daughter of Zig Ziegler, and I suspect a lot of you remember Zig from the books and the traveling and the, the speaking engagements that he had here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Certainly one of my favorite guests down through the years, and that's why I say, And when I first read the book, I thought, my goodness, boy, this is an eye-opener. So growing up as the, the daughter of Zig Ziegler is not guaranteed right attitude or right choices, and I guess in the end, the important lesson that all of us here have to learn is we have to be accountable 
singularly and directly to God. Even if we have a famous daddy or a mom or we're a pastor's kid, we are uniquely responsible for the choices that we make. Back to more of our conversation with Julie Ziegler in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our conversation continues with Julie Ziegler Norman. She is the youngest daughter of motivational speaker and best-selling author Zig Ziegler. A new book out called Growing Up Ziegler, A Daughter's Broken Journey from Heartache to Hope. You know, we're talking about that issue of choice. As you mentioned earlier on, and I want, don't want to give the whole plot away here, <laughs> Julie, but you mentioned early on in the book that one of the first wrong choices you made was at the age of 18, you'd met up a guy that had a, a, a mutual interest uh, in horses. Right. Uh, and certainly can can relate to that. I'm a big horse fan myself. Uh, but you, you ended up marrying this guy whom not long after the, the, I guess the ink was still drying on the license, you found out that he was significantly older than you thought. You were 18, he was 36, and yeah. then later on you found out about the four kids by three previous marriages. Wow, there's a start yeah. for you. Yeah, it was pretty shocking. And um, my dad had him investigated after we were married. He, you know, he tried very hard to stop the marriage, but by that point, Craig, I had been living, uh, you know, in such sexual sin. I really believed that if I got married, uh, that that would take me out of that realm of sinning and that then I could maybe get right with God. Uh, that was part of it. And I had secretly lived with this man, which was totally against, you know, what I had been taught and raised to do. And I, felt like in my in my little um uneducated mind because my dad wasn't a christian when i was growing up i was 17 almost 17 uh when he finally became a christian i missed the biblical training and time in church we went a little bit but not enough to to have any impact on me but uh, i really because of my experience with bill gothard i've I knew that I shouldn't be doing that. I didn't want to do it. I didn't know how not to do it. And so I thought, you know, if I marry this man, then I can make it right. And um, even when Dad called with the facts and the truth, this man was really, um, uh, you know, a total horse trader. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no pun intended, yeah. In every sense, um, I felt like I'd married him and I needed to do what I could to make it work and honor that commitment. And in the end, when it became, you know, physically violent and there was also some evidence that he had been unfaithful, um, truly it was, by that time, I was so beaten down. Uh, he told me I was stupid and unattractive and, you know, I always believed what other people told me, not what my dad told me. And uh, by the time I left him, it was because when he picked me up to um, beat me, I almost dropped our baby on the floor. And I cared enough about her, even though I didn't care enough about me, to to leave. And it's and that's that's what caused that break. Was uh, he was jealous of the baby and the division of attention and and I um, something awoke in me uh, when when I almost dropped the baby and and that's when I left. But ironically, you you went out of that bad relationship, kind of out of the frying pan into the fire. Yes. Now, Mm -hmm. while while God has been gracious in bringing restoration and healing, and I understand your current marriage, what, 28 plus years, am I right? Something like that? Yes. 
Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, but but you actually had something in common with your, your, your current second husband, too, in that as much as the first one was all in the equestrian style, this had more to do with mixed cocktails. <laughs> yes, I had no idea that part of the great attraction was I'd finally met a man who could afford to buy me as many drinks as I actually wanted. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, uh, by then I had buried a lot of my shame and my uh, depression and regret in alcohol because I didn't know what to do with negative feelings and uh, actually had trouble identifying what sad meant at one point. But but I used alcohol as a way to cope. And when I met my present husband, uh, he, he liked his drink too. And we spent the first two and a half years of our marriage uh, kind of drinking at each other mm. until he finally got to a point where I'd had enough. And um, I went to a 12-step program for people who are friends and family of alcoholics and it was there that I learned I had my own problem yeah. that I needed to deal with. You, you said it. something a moment ago, Julie. Let me let me take you back. You, you, you okay. said that you, you listened to what others had to say about you yeah. more than you did your father. And I want to have you expand upon that because, you know, I, I, I often now joke with my own father now that mm-hmm. I'm uh, well into my, uh, well, I'm I'm well into my years, <laughs> but I, I've 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 said to Dad when conversations about you know uh, the wild and woolly days come up, I said you know it's amazing the older I've gotten how smart you've gotten. Yeah. Isn't it true when we're younger we just think we've got all the answers and our parents are incredibly stupid and what would they possibly know? And then as we grow older and mature and marry and have kids and go through our own life experiences, suddenly we realize you know Mom and Dad weren't so dumb after all. But talk to me a bit about that perspective where you said that well, you, you listened you know, more to others than your dad when it came to talking about you. I did, and it started real early. It started with me knowing that teachers, you know, teachers told them that not to expect, expect much of me academically. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, I was a little ADD or something, had some learning issues, and they just told my parents, don't expect too much of Julie. So I wasn't required to make A's and B's you know, like my sisters, uh, because they'd been told not to expect much. And I lived all the way down to those expectations. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I was in the, I was the yellow bird reader. I wasn't the blue bird who was top or the red bird who was next. I was the yellow bird who was last. And all of those little you know, defining things um, had an effect on me. And I had a girl tell me in eighth grade, I think I was on the bus, she said, boy, you're dense. And I went home and looked it up. And from then on, I was afraid to open my mouth because I was afraid somebody would make a judgment about how smart I was. And um, just things like that fed into me because I believe that my father told me nice and encouraging things because he loved me, he couldn't see me for who I really was, and uh, you know, isn't that what he does? Is he encourages people? And I wasn't sure it was genuine. I mean, I thought those things couldn't possibly be true about me because I knew what thoughts went on in my own head, and I had I had a lot of self-loathing 
because of the choices I was making and what I knew to be true about me that he didn't know. Funny how much of that, Julie, is so much like our relationship with the Lord that we would tend to rather believe the bad press and the negative thoughts and the junk that either we gets fed to us by others or by the media or by the devil himself and not want to believe what God believes about us, that he sees us not as we are, but as we can be and would be perfected in him. It's, that's right, and that's how Satan really gets gets the upper hand, is uh, he continues. I mean, we have a saying in the 12-step program, you know, your mind is like a, a, a bad neighborhood. You should never go there alone. And and you, we were, the, the thinking that we get ourselves into a wad with is really not at all what Christ would have us think. And, uh, and, and until you actually get into the Word yourself, for yourself, and you learn the character of God and what He wants for us, you can't think otherwise. I mean, I pray every day for God to give me wisdom and knowledge and the power to carry it out. You know, help me to see that wisdom. Give me the knowledge. Give me the power, Lord, to carry to carry this out, to carry it forward, because I certainly can't do it. And that's that's why I'm so free in Christ today is because I finally know his character and know what he wants for me and from me. You know, I know what my purpose is uh, as one of his, and that freedom is really why I wrote the book is I wrote the book for people who are sick and tired of living with the consequences of their choices, and especially for the Christian who sits in church who uh, has been forgiven and they know it, and yet they won't share any of their past because of shame they shouldn't even have anymore. And 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 it's amazing, it's amazing, Julie, the way so often we, we can't, we can't come to the point of understanding our purpose in life until we understand his purpose for us. That's right. And and it all has to do, Craig, with being available, willing, and obedient to do whatever he puts in front of you. And when you've surrendered your life to that point where you care more about what he wants than what you want, that's when you become totally free and the shame leaves, the depression leaves. Uh, there's just no more fear and there's no more worry once you really hand it over to him. But that fear of letting go and what he might demand of you, uh, it's pretty overwhelming. Then when you get over that hump, you go, oh my goodness, you know, what was, what was I concerned about? His care for me is so much greater than anything I could have thought of for myself. If you've just joined into the conversation here tonight, we're visiting with Julie Ziegler-Norman. Yes, the same Ziegler that you know and love, the youngest daughter of Zig Ziegler, the wildly popular motivational speaker, best-selling author. She's written a new book called Growing Up Ziegler, A Daughter's Broken Journey from Heartache to Hope. It really is a unique story and one that ought to catch the attention of all of us. I mean, for the PKs in the audience, you know, just because dad is famous or very successful in the pulpit ministry doesn't mean that your life is going to turn out picture perfect because it all comes down to the choices that you make as an individual, that we all make as an individual. How do we develop the right attitude? How do we make the right choices? Uh, We'll talk a bit more about that and we'll come back and talk about the challenge list as well. That is our conversation with Julie Ziegler-Norman continues here on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Julie Ziegler-Norman, our guest, a look at the book Growing Up Ziegler, A Daughter's Broken Journey from Heartache to Hope. 
for you, Julie, what was the major turning point? We, we talked about your experiences dealing with the difficulty in marriages and so forth, uh, the, the, the tragic early passing of your sister Susan from a pulmonary disease, as I recall. Uh, for you, the, the change in making the right choice and understanding eventually that Daddy had it right all along, how did that go about happening? <laughs> well, it actually started when I, when I got help through a 12-step program for my alcoholism. That's where the journey back to God and learning, you know, beginning to uh, learn what it was he had for me uh, through his word. And it was a long, a long process because even though the alcohol was removed, uh, I had to begin to live what I would call pretty raw. And, uh, you know, it, it, things are raw when you're used to living with something that dampens your emotions like alcohol. And even after that, uh, several years, 11 years after my husband and I sobered up, uh, I experienced a separation, but it was during that year of separation that I understood that I needed, to, if I would get my relationship with God right, then I could become the kind of wife that he always intended my husband to have and vice versa. And that year apart was spent really getting to know Christ. And it was a, it was a process of um, little things being removed one at a time. And after a year, we got back together. But then I had some, um, I had had two abortions when I was a single uh, parent. Those seven years I was single. And that was what I had buried deepest, Craig. And that is what hurt me the most to bring to the surface because I knew in my heart of hearts that it was wrong, even as I tried to convince myself that, uh, you know, the abortions were legal and I was getting one. I couldn't uh, bear the thought of the shame. My father, by that point, was the uh, Sunday school teacher at First Baptist Dallas. Um, he had a huge, you know, 300 people Sunday school every week and a lot of people from out of town. But beyond that, I was already raising one little daughter by myself with no help, and I, I didn't see... I told myself I didn't see how I could do it, but I was. The truth was, I was afraid that if I ever admitted uh, that I had made a mistake, that I deeply, deeply regretted, and I be allowed myself to mourn the children I lost, I was afraid I would never quit. I would never stop crying. But with the help of um, a Bible study through a Crisis Pregnancy Center for Post-Abortion Syndrome. When I accepted the forgiveness that God had long ago given me, when I understood that I was white as snow to him and that there truly was not a single sin uh, that was excluded, when I knew enough of his word to understand that totality of forgiveness, that's when I was set free. And um, it, until then, I was, I was not able to fully serve him. Because there was still a secret in my life, and and you know that that old deal, you're only as sick as your secrets, is really there's a lot of truth in that. Because as long as I have something I'm hiding, not just from you, but from me, um, I can't be authentically who I am and who God intended me to be. But I'm totally free now. I love my babies that are in heaven. I I can't wait to see them. Um, I named my daughter Winnie Beth, and my son is Robert Curtis. And, and uh, they're children who are as alive in my heart today as my children, my, my living children here. 
and I can't tell you um, what that change has made in my life and my ability to glorify God and just serve Him uh, without fear and regret and shame. Your your dad eventually fully aware of all that had transpired and how God had brought you for full circle. Yes, as a matter of fact, um, well, I'd just gone through the the Bible study and had been talking to Dad about it. I'd actually gotten counseling uh, in regards to the abortion some years before, but somehow or other, it didn't didn't you know I didn't get that freedom to forgive myself and. Um, Daddy, at one point, said, you know, I wonder if this is what God really, the purpose he has for me is to help you, um, you know, help women who have made this this horrible decision for themselves and are living with the consequences and to help save babies. And then right as he was starting to talk to post-aborted women to find out more about it uh, is when he had his head injury and had short-term memory loss, and then he was unable to retain any new information and so that turns out that wasn't for him but he was he was that open to it Craig I mean daddy was always looking for how he might serve and help and and he was willing to jump in there he was heartbroken that you know I hadn't felt like I could trust them with that information or share it when I was going through it uh, and of course, heartbroken because he missed out on two grandchildren. Sure. But um, yes, he's he's right behind me all the way. Well, it's it's a great book, and we appreciate you uh, sharing the candor of your experience. I know, uh, no doubt, coming as a surprise to uh, to a lot of our listeners, as we would have expected, just a perfect life <laughs> in so many ways. <laughs> and yet, you know, it's a human life, and and it's one where yeah. you know, at, at the end of the day, we all have to make the right choices. We all have to deal with the choices that we make, um, and 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 attitude and perspective from a biblical viewpoint is so critically important. And you walk people through your your heartache and your candid experience and we sure appreciate you taking some time today uh julie to share uh, not not just from the pain with our listeners but then to the back side of the story the victory side the, the positive outcome of this all it's all about victory and uh, it's there for anyone who will will um seek it seek him trust him the book again is called growing up ziggler a daughter's broken journey from heartache to hope and the new book by the way published by guidepost and you can order it through the usual suspects amazon.com of course get it in any bay area bookstores and uh, thanks so much uh, julie for being with us by the way if you want to check out more julie continues to speak and write and uh, do traveling and whatnot you can get more information about her life and ministry online at juliezigglernorman.com that's julie Ziegler Norman, N-O-R-M-A-N, all one word, dot com. And our thanks to Julie Ziegler for being with us on this edition of Lifeline. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. 
Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.